Bruchim Abayim B'Shem Hashem B'Rachnuchem V'Vez Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir Oh, you're here? Welcome This week, Fashas Bahar and B'Chukesai Um Shabbos Mvarchim, Chedish Sivan. Chedish Sivan is, of course, from Rish Chedish Sivan until Yud Beis Lachedish, till the twelfth day of the month. We do not say any Tachnun. We're setting up over here, whole bed. Um. Pashat Bahar and Bukhkesev, and it's also Chazak, Chumash, Vayikra. Bahar and Bukhkesev are together this week, and Baruch Hashem this week we manage to put together once again Klal Yisrael. We'll join together as in Eretz Yisrael they're going to lean only Bechukaisai, and in in Chutzlar they're going to lean Bahar and Bechukaisai. So now they are both Mitzvah together. Henceforth, the Pashas will be together once again. Bahar Sinai Leimer. Ma'i and Shemitah, it's a Hasinai, the part of the Pasha begins to talk about the Shemitah, and what does the Shemitah have to do with Hasinai? This is just like the Mitzvah, Rashi says the Mitzvah before had to do with Sinai, Mitzvah came from Sinai, all Mitzvahs, including Shemitah, and all the Mitzvahs were given on Sinai. The last Pasuk of as we mentioned before, the mitzvahs These are the commandments that God commanded. This is chapter 27, verse 34. Moshe, the children of Israel, on Mount Sinai. Now the fact is that the Torah never ends. So we need to figure out what is the connection between this pasuk. And the first pasuk of Yikra Meisha, and we know, of course, the Yikra Meisha, the first letter, first word, the last letter is Aleph, the small Aleph. For Meisha was trying to show, just like Bilam was called Vayikar, also here he would also be called Vayikar. They said no, and he said he insisted on having an Aleph. So Meisha said if he insisted on having an Aleph, <coughs> Meisha's humility did not allow him to make a big Aleph, but rather a small Aleph. We know, of course, Meisha kibel Teda Mis Sinai. Meisha received Teda from Sinai. What does it mean, Mis Sinai? 
Technically, it should say Al Sinai. Why did it say Mi Sinai? And this is the Meshes Terah was the concept of anivus, of humility, and his humility showed in everything that he did. Every when any one of his attributes showed his humbleness. And therefore he learned from Sinai, just like Sinai. Also, as we know the story of Shavuos, the Medish tells us how Sinai felt they would never there would never be the mountain that the Torah would be given on because it was so small. And the Abishad said, that is the reason that I want to give the Torah on you because of the humbleness that you have, because of your humility. That's why I'm giving the Torah Dafka on Sinai. So we see that the last words of the of the Chumash Baha'i Sinai, which is Meshach's teacher, and so too, Vayikra Mesha, which is also the, what Mesha learned, the concept of Bittl, the concept of humility, he learned from Sinai, and that's why Vayikra, he writes with a small aleph, which is shows the epitome of his humbleness that he had, that he lived by. Of course, you know that tonight's shir is all the shirim, Ali Nishmas, Eliza Shlamis. She have a little Yanadin, her children be well looked after. Um, Shkhedish Sivan, Shabbos Vachim, Shkhedish Sivan, Shkhedish Sivan is referred to. By as Yarchat Lisoi, the third month, and the Yidden are of course the nation of three, which is Kayan Levi and Yisrael, and also we find the three Oves, find many many things in Klal Yisrael. The Jewish nation is based on three, and therefore, and the Teda itself, which is Teda Neviim Eksuvim. Also a concept, also adding to three. What? Oh, I'm talking about Chedish Sivan. You're And therefore the Chedish of Sivan has a very, very special connection. That's why in this month, Taylor was given. Unfortunately, Kla Yisrael did not have a very good month thereafter sometimes in our histories and for example in the time of Rahman al-Atzlan the Shoah, the Holocaust where the Eden six million Jews, Rahman al-Atzlan were brought Ongikumen and a lot of the Yartzites of people we did not know when they died, when they passed away, a lot of the outsides were Kurveya were established for the month of Sivan. Because it was around that time mostly that most of them had passed away. Also during the Inquisition, Shkhedi Sivan was not, um, shall we say, Jew-friendly. And many Jews had passed away in Shkhedi Sivan, and therefore, unlike all other months, when the Shabbos and Varchem before Musaf, the Avarachim prayer is not recited, 
But this Shabbos, Shabbos of Archim Sivan, we do say the Avarachim. May it be Taka, Haninu Goyim Amei, Kidam Avod of Yikim, Vinokam Yoshev Vitzorov Echiprad Mosei Amei. That we should actually see the true revenge on our enemies and the enemies that are today trying to take and destroy the Jewish nation, the people that are trying to cause the damage that is being caused to Jews throughout the world today, the hatred, the anti-Semitism should all be abolished. And the main frame of abolish, abolishing this should be done through Mashiach Tzidkenu, by taking us out of this wicked and horrific exile, this horrific Golos, once and for all, to Yerushalayim Irakadish. Pashbukhukhesai also has an aliyah that the Balkaria does not relent. Everyone everyone knows you come to Shul, they call up Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. There are some Sephardim that have a custom to call up Kohen, Levi, Yisrael in three different cycles. For Revi, they will call again a Kohen, and for Hamishi, again a Levi. Ashkenazim do not have that custom at all. Rather, Kayan Levi Yisrael, the first three aliyahs. Revi, Hamishi, Shishi, and Shvi are a Yisraelim, and Mafti could be a Kayan Levi Yisrael. And each time the person gets an aliyah, they're called up. Now, many, the big shuls, the shamans will walk around before the Kriya Tera and give out cards. This card will say Revi, Hamishi, Shishi. And so the Gavi does not have to know the name, he just say Yamod Revi, Yamod Hamishi, Yamod Shishi. Needless to say that this Shishi card was a, a jackpot card. But in this week it's not so, Shishi is not such a jackpot. Chamishi is not such a jackpot. Chamishi, we read the Teichacha. The Kalalas, the curses that were presented, that were put upon the Jews. Aha, okay. What are curses? How and why would the tailor give a curse? Why would the tailor curse a Jew? Why, if there's curses that were given to Jews, keep them in some other books, in some Kabbalistic books. Why in the tailor? Why not the portion? Hmm? Why not the portion? That's because there's the different things that are still being brought up in the parish itself. But the question actually is why at all? Never mind the beginning or end of the Pasha, why at all? There was a fellow who was actually a chassid of the Chazer Lublin. The Chazer got his name Chazer, referring to translation is to see. He was able to see, they say he was able to see from one end of the world to the other. In other words, he was able to see from one generation, from the beginning of time to the end of time, 
and from one end of the world to the other. And this is, he was referred to as the Chayza of Lublin. A Chassid once came to the Chayza of Lublin and told the Chayza told the Chayza that he had three daughters and they needed to get married and there was no money. Because there was no money People would not look his way. People would not consider him. They would not dream of giving, making a shidduch with him. In those days, in today's days you have it as well. Boys that want to sit and learn after they get married. A good percent of them even were learning before they got married. You had to give a dowry, a down payment for a house. You had to show you had to be able to put up money. Or it's, uh, so a wedding could cost two, three hundred ruble with hakol, bakol, mikol to set up house and to do whatever they need. No one needs three daughters. It's almost a thousand ruble. One net, a thousand ruble. So he went to the Chayza and he told the Chayza very simply, I, I push it, can't, I can't. I need to marry off my daughters and I haven't got the money. Chayza went to his drawer. He took out a few coins, some money, and he told his Chassid, travel to this and this town, a remote town, And that's where Yeshua will be. That's where your salvation awaits you. The Rebbe says, and he gets the money for it, comes home, tells his wife, pack me a bag, I'm going, and you fun. And he gets into the wagon, he gets to the town, and he gets to the town, he goes to the only Jewish hotel there, and he gets himself a room. <coughs> He's exhausted from all this overdrive excitement he hadn't slept in days since he went to the Rebbe all the excitement the travel the journey excuse me he went to sleep (laughs) he went to sleep his brain started to relax and the whole overdrive started to slow down on him it started to hit him and occurred to him that yes the Rebbe gave him money yes the Rebbe told him to go to this town but he has no idea what he has to do here. So he did like every other Jew. He got up in the morning, went to Mikvah, went to Davin. Came back to the hotel, he ate something. Then he went walking. He went spazirin through the town. What's he going to do? He can sit in Mismedish also, but... They were told him to be in the town. He had to make himself his presence known. So he walked the streets up and down here. I mean, the streets can imagine already how many streets these the cities had already. This Garnished. First day, a second day, a third day. It's almost a week already. 
the money is dwindling, and there's no sign of a salvation. Nothing's happening here. Kitsa is really very frustrated. And when you're not doing anything, and you don't see you're accomplishing anything, your day goes by much longer. And although you didn't do anything, you're very tired. As was this chassid. He was exhausted. But sleep evaded him. Because as soon as he tried to go to bed, there was a knock at the door. Who is it? He hears in Yiddish, Shah, Shah, Lozmarain. Please, quiet, let me in. He opens the door and there's a distinguished looking fellow, middle aged, maybe 40. She's a younger than middle aged. And he comes and says, Please let me in. Comes inside, he sits down by the table. Starts to whisper. Don't ask me my name. Don't ask who I am. I beg of you. I need for you to do me a tremendous favor. No one is to know who I was, where I came from. And he takes out an envelope, thick envelope. This wasn't paper towels, this is an envelope. That's a sign over there. And he says, please, without mentioning any names or descriptions, please give this to the hotel owner. Not a guy is totally befuddled and baffled. What's going on? What do you want? He says, listen. Many years ago, <coughs> the innkeeper had a few little children. He needed a lobby. He needed a teacher for, a teacher for the children. So I was hired. And I did my job very diligently. Children learned very well. They had good heads. And one day, I was sitting and learning one of the children. And the office of the hotel manager was open. And I saw him take a thick envelope of money, open a drawer, put it in this simple drawer, took a key and locked the drawer, and put the key behind the picture on the wall. I said, why would he not put that in a safe? Why would he not put it safer and secure? But Ganesh, I didn't think of it twice. Until a few days later, the Yitzhahara came, started to poke me, and started to tell me, hey, the money's yours up for grabs. Don't be foolish. 
But the more the Yitzhara told me, the more I fought. I said, how, how, how can I listen to the Yitzhara? How can I steal money? But I would sit there in the inn and I would see the people that came here to the inn. Wealthy, distinguished people with their own carriages. They had, they were established people living wealthy. So why shouldn't I be wealthy? Why shouldn't I be well-dressed? Why shouldn't I be the right of God? I figured because I don't have the money. But I could have the money. I could have the money that they have. One night, the Yitzhahara and I were alone. Everybody left. <coughs> They'd gone to a wedding. And me and the Yitzhahara were not having an easy time here. The Yitzhahara was quite powerful, quite potent. And before I could do anything or see anything, I found myself standing by the door of the office. And I said, Hold me back from this inn. Make sure the door is locked at least. I guess the Rebbein felt he wanted to give me another test. And I turned the doorknob and the handle and the door opened with ease. And before I could figure where I was, I was standing in the office. And I walked to the picture and lo and behold, the key was still there. And I turned the key into the drawer and the drawer opened. And there sat the innocent envelope. And Nayit Sahara was giving me a little attitude. I kept saying, listen, the guy forgot he left it here even. It's here for so many weeks. He doesn't remember it's here even. Just take it, isn't there it go. I couldn't, I couldn't, but I, I'm standing there, I'm looking at this envelope. I couldn't, but I could, and I couldn't, I couldn't. And finally, the envelope was in my pocket. The envelope was in my pocket. I went out to the yard, it was the middle of the night. I took a steel box. I put the money in the steel box. And I buried the money. And I figured, soon, I'll take it back. No. Much to my despair, that next day, the owner decided to check his drawer. He checked his drawer, and saw the money was missing. Immediately called the police. And the whole investigation started. 
Now I know I was in trouble. I needed for it to wait to quiet down before I could do anything with this money. It took quite a while to quiet it down. In the meantime, the innkeeper and myself were very, very, very close friends. We had a fantastic relationship. And I acted as if nothing ever happened. A month, two months, three months went by. Many times it occurred to me to go get that money out and give it back. But I thought to myself, what would I say? What would he say? He'd realize what I had done. Maybe he'd get angry. Perhaps it would ruin our friendship. Perhaps even he'd have me arrested. So each time that this thought came to my mind to return the money, the Yitzhahara worked even harder. After a year, I couldn't look at the innkeeper anymore. I couldn't stay there. It was too much. So I bid him farewell. I left in best of terms with him. We still remained best friends. And I went on my way. It's ten years now. I must confess to you, Hardly a night have I slept properly. I just do not have peace. Now that I could not take it anymore, I came back to the town and I started to look, who? Who can I give the money to? To give it back? Surely I can't do it myself. But I don't know. As a Ghanif now, now that I realize that a person can steal somebody else's money, I became suspect of everyone. And I thought maybe, perhaps, if I give the money to somebody, give it back and let's see how much money it is, maybe they'll steal it. But all I have accomplished, that will not do tshuva for me. In the last few days, I've seen you here. I've seen the way you dive in the morning. I see the way you walk the streets all day, aimlessly. I feel that you're the right person. You're the one I can give the money to, and you will actually return it. Well, the chassid was at one point, at this point now, had totally forgotten that he had any kind of tzadahs. He'd forgotten that he had daughters that he had to marry off. He'd forgotten that he existed. He knew what world he was in, hearing such a story. Kitzer fell, begged him, please don't tell him anything. Don't give a description of me. Leibish. Leibish. A couple of words. Don't give a description of anything. Just please give it to him. 
and let it, let my let my tshuva be accepted. No, Chassid took the money, not knowing what he was going to do with it. And the next day, he came to the innkeeper. He gave him a shalom. And he said, I need to talk to you quietly, privately. He even said that. I noticed. You've been around a while. What's your story? He said, Thank you very much. He said, before you tell you my story, I need to tell you a different story. Is it true that many years ago you lost a lot of money? The innkeeper had so forgotten this story that he had to think. I lost a lot of money. When? What? And he says, wait a minute. Ten years ago, I had 10,000 rubles taken away from me. Excuse me, why do you ask about the 10,000 rubles? So I'm begging you, don't ask me any other questions takes out the envelope and he gives him the money. And the innkeeper says, but, 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 but. The innkeeper realized the deal is a deal. He said no more questions, that he can't ask anything. And he just took the money. And that was it. Then he says to the chassid, but why are you here? He said, I'll tell you the truth, I'm the chassid of the chassid of the blin. And the Chazer told me, gave me some money to travel here. I'm in a very bad strait here. I have to marry off my daughters. I don't have any money. I have three daughters to marry off. So I, um, she told me to travel here. I don't know why. I don't see why. I haven't experienced why. But it's been the... Hazeh. You have three daughters to marry off. He says, yeah. The man takes out and counts out the whole money. It's 10,000 ruble. Tremendous amount of money. And he says to him, here's a thousand ruble. With this money you can marry off your daughters, Bekovedik, and probably even have money for houses. But pray tell me, where's your Rebbe, the Chazer, I want to go meet him. Kitsi told him, and he had his thousand ruble, which is the money he needs for three chasanas, and houses, and he traveled home very happy. And he came in to tell the Chayza the story. Chayza looked at him, and Chayza apologized. He said, I apologize for putting you through this. It was a very awkward, sticky situation, obviously. But I had no choice. 
I couldn't bear anymore to see how this teacher, this Malamid, Rebbech couldn't sleep at night because he wanted to do tshuva for what he had done. And therefore I had to send you so you could be misakin for this Malamid, his Aveda. So now we see how things are hidden, how things on the open front look so severe, look so difficult, but the master plan, the Abish's master plan is there, and the Abish's master plan comes through and prevails. And therefore this person who needed to give the tzedakah, merited to give tzedakah to the right person, this person who needed the money to marry off his daughters got his mitzvah and of course the person who never needed to return to Geneva did his tshuva. And so too the clothes that we see in Pashat that look so severe they hear they sound so horrific, but yet since they are words of Teda, Teda Lashon Heda, they are pure, and we need to accept them, and we need to hear them, and ultimately we will see the true bracha that the Abishta puts within these words. Bahar Sinai the concept of Shemitah Shemitah six years we work on the seventh year we rest. Okay. Okay. It's a mitzvah. Mitzvah to keep Shabbos, mitzvah to keep Yom Tif. Mitzvah to eat kosher, mitzvah to respect our parents. That's the Nacha Mitzvah. Seventh year don't work. What do we do that year? We sit and learn Tata. Okay. Farmers were not cut out for learning Tata usually. But here they were given this dumb loot. They sat and studied Tata all year. Driving yesterday in Williamsburg saw a very interesting sign a billboard there's an organization they're collecting money for the people in that cell that are keeping Shemitah beautiful 
but not just the people, they call them tzaddikim, the righteous people that are keeping Shemitah. That's quite a statement to call people tzaddikim. What righteousness is there in the person that keeps Shemitah? Let's look, let's look into this, let's think real. A person is told that six years you're going to work and the seventh day you shouldn't and the seventh day excuse me, on the seventh year you're going to support yourself you're going to support yourself and live off of everything you had in the sixth year. The sixth year is going to have so much that you'll be able to support yourself the seventh year as well. Let us scrutinize this uh, issue a little bit here. For those that are not agriculturally savvy, I'm not uh, personally have yet plant a field and never even planted a flower. So I'm not someone to tell you how it works. But apparently, apparently, one of the physical reasons for Shemitah is because the land needs it. You can't keep working the field. The field needs a rest. Each year that you replant, re-sow, re-reap and everything else, your flock, your, your stock, your growth is weaker, is not as productive. So technically speaking, on this seventh year, not much grows anyway, because the land needs to recuperate. After five years, though, of the planting, the fields already are not as strong. So, And the farmer knows that. The farmer knows very, very well how each year the fields are getting weaker and weaker. And we go and tell this very same farmer, you should know, my child, that on this sixth year, Hashem promises that the earth will yield much more than it normally does. And it will last you for the sixth year, for the seventh year, and half of the eighth year, which you have to wait till you can get your crops.
the fact that this simple farmer accepts such a thing is righteous, pure righteousness. Likewise, the same promise we experience in the, our efforts about the coming of Mashiach, the long-awaited redemption. The Yamara for those keeping score at home on Sanhedrin 97 side 1 sites compares the, the whole human history to the seven year Shemitah cycle. After 6,000 years of human effort to develop God's world, the seventh millennium will be Shemitah. Holy and sanctified to God's name. How? The era of Mashiach. Just like the sixth year of the Shemitah cycle, we ask, what will we eat in the seventh year? The same we are holding now in this sixth millennium, and we say, how much more can we hold out? Each passing generation will become weaker and weaker. Our sensitivity to holiness, our productivity, produ- production that we are producing is not the same. The generations are getting weaker. Generations are not like the ones that preceded us. How can the impoverished deeds of today succeed to bring Mashiach? If our ancestors who did so much more than us, who was so much holier than us, so much more special than us, did not manage to bring, how would we ever possibly be able to bring? To this God's guarantee, I will command my blessing to you in the sixth year. That's exactly, that's precisely the simple devotion and the loyalty despite the weariness of thousands of years of torture of Golas, we now anticipate and wait and hold that Mashiach will redeem us today. But we stand before the Almighty and we say to the Almighty, We want Mashiach. We do a mitzvah here, we do a mitzvah there, we do another Veda here, we do another Veda here. We're, we're a generation that's not so holy or pure any longer. How do we actually expect, anticipate, that Melech Malchi Amloch Makadish Baruch should look down on us and say, I want to give you Mashiach? Mm. There's a little girl, this is a very interesting. Sometimes on WhatsApp you can get something normal. 
So we got the other day, a little girl had two beautiful shiny apples. And her mother came to her and said, Mamala, you're not going to eat both apples. You can't eat two apples. You're a little girl. Would you like to share with Mommy and give me one apple? The little girl smiled at her mother sheepishly and took the apple in her right hand and made a loud brach, loud and clear, and took a bite into the apple. The mother was looking, surely she's going to give her the other one. But then the girl took the left hand, raised up his left hand, laid her left hand, and she made another bracha. Now she made another bracha. She bit into that one as well. The mother was shocked. What kind of child have I raised? The audacity I asked to share an apple and they refuse? And before she could say anything, the child stuck out one hand and said, Here, Mommy, this apple is sweeter. Take this one. And so, we, in exile, in Golos, when we do the trivial, the simplest of mitzvahs, we too are producing that apple and saying, Father in heaven, please take this as the sweeter apple. The Mishnah Pirkei this week is Perik Hamishi, the fifth Perik. And we look at the sixth Mishnah, because that too reflects on what we are discussing, of the sixth millennium. The, mil- Oops. the sixth millennium awaiting Mashiach. And the Mishnah tells us, Ten things were created on Erev Shabbos by twilight. We are now in Erev Shabbos at twilight. We are at the end of the sixth millennium, about to begin the seventh. This is like Erev Shabbos Bein Hashemashas. Bein on Friday represents the instant transition from the natural order of the week to the holy day of Shabbos. And therefore anything created at that time represents a fusion of the natural and the infinite.
We know, of course, we've said it once before, the riddle, the famous riddle of the two twins that were born, and the older one had halachically his bris on the correct time, a day after the younger one. Not a few hours after, a full day after the first one, the second one. And the answer to that riddle is the first child was born on Friday, Ben Ashmashes, which is questionable if it's Friday or if it's Shabbos. And therefore, a bris cannot be on Friday because it might have been on Shabbos. Friday would be too early. It cannot be on Shabbos because it's a suffix if it's that day or not. And the bris can only be done on Shabbos if that is the actual day of the bris. So the first child is born by Nashmashas, will have his bris on Sunday. And the second and the second one will have his bris on Shabbos. Because the second one is born after Ben Ashmashis when it was already surely Shabbos. And therefore, the second one's bris would be on Shabbos. Whereas the first one, bris would be on Sunday. Because you cannot have a bris on Shabbos, because we said before. Therefore, Ben Ashmashis head of Shabbos is a very, very significant time. And we are now approaching this Bein Hashmashis, this holy moment. And therefore we are looking for that fusion of the natural and the infinite. We are looking for that fusion of the mundane and the miraculous so that we too can experience these wonderful miracles. Mishnah also teaches us the importance of every moment that we have in life. The twilight is after Shkia, is after sunset. And therefore it's literally the last, last seconds before Shabbos actually begins. And at that point in time, the Almighty used those last seconds to enhance the creations, to complete it, to make it in its totality. And so we too, need to use our every second that we are given so that we can accomplish everything that can possibly be done and not miss a beat. One of the ten things is the inscription of the tablets. The first luchas were done, made, benash mashas. These luches are the strongest symbolic connection between Terah and man. The letters were... Whose is that? Yours? Were hewn into the stones themselves. Mm-hmm. Through and through. A Terah scroll, when a Terah scroll is written, the ink is written on the parchment. And although they become an integral part of the parchment, they can pop off, they can jump off the parchment. But here, by the 
luchas, the tablets, the letters were through and through and there was no leaving. They were inseparable. And this is the state in which a person needs to find himself when it comes to studying of Torah. And this is similar also to this week's Pasha. In Rashi tells us we need to be a melin bateda. We need to have the teda engraved, chukim lashen chikakti, that engraved within us. And so that we can anticipate the era of redemption, which will be characterized by such a unification, this unified mindset once again. And this attitude is what brings about and what we anticipate and we wait for in this exile. A little quip from the Seita. Mishnah talks about the blessings of the Kahanim. Tana Rabbanon Rabbanon learned Tana Madchas Amar Aleph if you keep in score at home. 38, side 1. Kesa Varachu Vlashna Kedish at the name of Vlashna Kedish. Vlashna Kedish. It says Kesa Varachu, this is how you should bless the Jews. Has to be in the holy tongue. Ay, ain't it maybe not so? Maybe not so, says the Yamada. Maybe, welcome. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's keeping a catching tail ends of, of a history. Perhaps it's not as such. This is the ones that stood to bless the nation. Just like there it talks about. In the holy tongue, so too here. But the Rabbi Huda says no. He says the word koi, such. By saying such, this is only in the holy tongue of the Hebrew language. And therefore, when it says koi sevarachu, so is the way a person should be blessed. The blessings, of course, need us need to be saying in the Lashon Kedish, in the Holy Tongue. And therefore, once again, as we come to Bahar and Bukhukesai, <coughs> we come to the Shkedish Sivan, we prepare ourselves for the month which Matan Taylor will take place, Next week we will talk about Matan Teda and hopefully we'll be broadcasting from Yerushalayim Irakadish for this very Shabbos as we have come now to be in Ashmoshes of the 6th millennium we anticipate the coming of Mashiach Mehera Yemenu Amen Shabbat Shalom to all